You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by... Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting, let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is a Murrow and multiple Emmy award-winning investigative reporter and anchor of Good Morning Indiana at RTV6. I've told him before, and I'll say it up front, in my view, he has the best brand in local media, Mr. Rafael Sanchez. What does that mean to have the best brand? means that you have become a reference point. And so instead of people saying, call the media, they say, we need to call Raphael. Okay. They do, they do call. They email, they text, they tweet, they message, they Facebook. I mean, they do everything. That's right. So when people <laughs> feel like the media can be on their side for something, you have personified that bit of journalism. I think uh, the, the station has been good to me, right? I think it's a team sport. And I think the station saw something that they were able to grow. You know, I think, as you know, as someone who does marketing, who does uh, what you do, it's about building a product. And so you have to have a vehicle for it. You have to have someone to be the face of it. And so I think for many years, this TV station has been sort of the on your side, call call six for help. And so I was able to build on that vehicle. And so I've been very lucky with that. Did you come here, you came here, you told me, in 98. So did you come here to be that investigative call six for help reporter? No. I was just, uh, you hate to say, I was just covering news. I was covering murders and, you know, snowstorms, and I was asked to do it. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be great, right? Um, For me, it reminds me of, like, being in the Bronx, you know. It's the one time I can go after someone and be mean to them, especially if you're a a slime ball or if you're, like, a crooked contractor. Mm -hmm. So for me, at that age, 1998, I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go after you because you did wrong to to grandma. So it was just a good thing for me to be like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I was getting a thrill of it because we're so nice in the Midwest. I love the Midwest. I mean, I love being a Hoosier by choice, all those Mm -hmm. good things. But we're nice. Everything we do is nice. We don't honk our horns. We don't yell at people. We don't raise our voices. But call six for help. And you cheated grandma or grandpa. Mm -hmm. Come on. Let's go. And so it allowed me to have that sort of street kind of (laughs) attitude. It sounds like, but, but yeah, but it was my outlet. It allowed me to be Bronx in Indiana. So let's stay with this theme. Right? Do you remember like some of the worst 
people you dealt with? Because, you know, you just ran up on people half the time. Well, you know, back in the day, as you may recall, though, the, the thing was, remember, it was the whole the Mike Wallace, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Wallace was the king of, if you don't sit down with Mike, he's going to find you somewhere. He's going to jump out of a bush, a plane, mm-hmm. a train, a spaceship. He's going to find you. And so I think Mike Wallace, that, that whole mm-hmm. thought in that era was what viewers were used to. And so same thing for us. You know, we often would at the time call or email. And if you didn't show up, if you didn't answer the phone, we'd find you. And so, um, it is, you know, for me, it's always easier if you just talk to us. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the PR guy. You're the PR king. Sit down with the media. Well, but you are. You don't handle Very the media. Mm-hmm. No, but, you know, mm-hmm. talk to the media and the story will turn out so much better. If I have to jump out of a bush at McDonald's to find you, it's not going to be a good look for you. I'm going to look great, but you're going to look horrible in front of the Golden Arches. Well, I tell my clients a lot that if you don't speak for yourself, someone will speak for you. People always, and especially, in, and so that's how, 1998 was a nice era, right? I mean, that was before really uh, social media was crazy. We, we had some, but now if you don't speak for yourself, the public will speak for you. Has social media changed Absol- your job? Well, who, it's changed everybody's job. Everyone has a voice. Everyone thinks they're a commentator. Everyone thinks that, they're, that they are the thing. And so people don't know how to di- differentiate between what is reliable or uh, consistent media mm-hmm. versus, you know, Joe and Joanne. But is there a specific talking about your investigative work? Because you really did. And this is a compliment, right? This isn't contrived. Uh, it's, you know, something that I was able to do in the mayor's office. You know, when you work in the mayor's office or the governor's office or, in, you know, some significant government uh, organization, you know, you really can help people because you can cut through the bureaucracy. You can. You know, my friends would call me up and say, hey, you know, can you have someone look at this for me? It doesn't seem right. And, you know, I always did it, of course. Absolutely. Because that's one of the reasons because that's what Greg Ballard was about. But people do did call you and do call you because they're they're desperate and they feel like they're being cheated. So when you go there and you investigate it and do what you have to do as a journalist, how does that make you feel? And is there one or two like more heartwarming stories where you're like saying helping grandma that you can recall? Yeah, I, I, and I have, do have I do have a couple, and and I'll get to those in a second. But I think what a shame, right? So let's just talk about what a shame that a customer, that a viewer of a certain entity has to call the media to get something resolved. Because as a taxpayer or as a legitimate customer, mm-hmm. you should be able to say, hey, this is a problem, can you fix it? Mm-hmm. You should not have to come to any media source to do that. I mean, customers, I always say consumers are not always right, but they do have rights. Correct. It's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's sometimes very uh, unfortunate that someone has to call me as the last source, because I'm thinking, is it that bad? Like that entity could not take your call and say, hey, let me get back to you, mm. right? And so that could be frustrating. I have a couple, I have one young, I remember one young lady who was uh, worked for Sprint and she needed a double, double kidney transplant and she had fallen behind by her payment by one day and Sprint was not gonna cover her health insurance. And I'm thinking to myself, come on now, really? Right. I mean, paperwork, right? Miscommunication is the word I love the most. Miscommunication, a misunderstanding. I love those, and I'm okay with those because you know what? Can I say this? That happens. Yeah, yeah, happens. And so I understand that. And so tell me that shit happens, and I'm like, okay, could you just fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a case where this young lady uh, from Anderson, she needed a double lung transplant, 
had missed a payment by a day or something. Sprint initially was like, we're not going to pay for it. I was like, really, yo? Uh I mean, is that what we're going to do? And someone, the person who made the decision, obviously, was not the person. Sure. So sometimes you have to go to the executive suite and say, hey, right? Could you please review this? Because surely, right, this is not right. And sometimes when you get to that person, they go, oh, what happened? I think sometimes systems, computers are built to say, no, yes, no, yes. And as we know, life is complicated. Sometimes there is that gray stuff where a human being has to look at the case and go, come on. Oh, sure. Cover this, right? And so That that was was my first interaction with Kara Kinney when I was in the mayor's office. Right. So so it's those kinds of things that often um, are are, are the genesis for a story is that someone just did not give it a second look and, and really say, are we doing the right thing here? What percentage, I mean, I know you can't answer this per se, but a best guess, what percentage of, of the people, of the organizations, of the entities changed their behavior based on you? I think that, I don't have a percentage. I would say, I would, you know, out of 100, I'll be fair to say maybe 40. Because I think sometimes it is, it is an issue where I don't think people, as you know, get up on any given morning and intend to be asses, intend to cheat someone. No one really in America gets up and says, I'm going to screw you today. I think what happens is people get up in the morning. There are these systems that sometimes could be archaic, or there's a computer that doesn't talk to Johnny, or there's paper, or there's an email, and all that crap gets lost. And so, Or someone could be somewhat negligent. And so I would think that the majority of these are those things where people are not really, again, mm-hmm. paying attention to your concern and saying, Robert, let's look at this. Robert, yes, no, you can't. And, you know, sometimes in life, as you know, because you're a dad, we have to say no to our kids. And sometimes, you have to, you, sometimes through the media, you have to say, no, they're not eligible for that. Okay, why? And if you can explain the why, okay. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. How many times did you have to call grandma back and go, I know you feel like you're getting punked out, but... You're actually not. I would say it's it's a sixty forty. I think uh, in sixty, I think it's on the high end where sometimes people uh, think they deserve something, which at the end of the day they really don't. And so often, what we do before we even start that conversation is we ask people what 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 legwork did you do? Tell me what you did first. What was the last conversation you had with with the entity? And then we can go from there because then I can see at least what efforts you've put in. I think you have to put some sort of effort mm-hmm. into this thing. Otherwise, I, I'm not the, the, the fairy godmother. It's a second I work. Glenda the Good Witch. Yeah, yeah, it's not just going to happen that way. And so um, we often, I often ask, hey, like, what did you do? So that when I call you at the governor's, the, the mayor, uh, company A, company B, I can say, hey, here's a documentation that I have. What does this mean? Like, what, what the heck? You, you know, there's lots of footage, probably not as much anymore, of you just like i said rolling up on somebody have you ever felt like this may end badly for me or you know someone may well, just snap on me and and anything whatever. is possible right so i don't know let's not and honestly those were not though obviously we showed that because that is compelling uh, well yes it's a good television but it's also proof of performance like i'm going to say that i called you seven times and you you refused to even answer the phone so this is not people that are just like that I'm just going to pop out of the blue because, hey, it's a good day to do this to you. You gave them a chance to handle it in a different way. Absolutely. I mean, because otherwise this could be a totally different story. Oh, I remember, uh, I should say that we're speaking with Rafael Sanchez of RTV6, that Mr. Sanchez and I have had more than our share of scrapes. But I will say that Rafael always called me and said, 
I'm, I need to interview. This is what I'm going to talk to you about. And I need these answers. And, you know, I'm just letting you know, here's what's coming. So your point about just not busting but finish that of, sentence, of, though. But you would also school me. And, and if you thought I was wrong on background, you say, well, listen, before you do this, you may want to know this. Right. And then I don't know how much percentage since you like percentages today. It's like a math lesson calculus here on this podcast. I don't know how many times I said, all right, you know, you got a point. And maybe I backed off or maybe the story took a different turn because now I had data. Now I had information. Now I had the complete story. Now I could say, oh, well, why don't you just say that from the beginning? So I think sometimes when people step forward and say, here's the story, dude. Here's the background. Then I can make a better decision. I think I remember one or two times I think I've asked are we getting along for this interview or are we fighting? Right. And Raphael would be like, oh, we're fighting. I'm like, okay, as yeah. long as I know. Right. That way I don't walk into the trap. But the point I was making was is- Was it a fact, trap though? If you knew what the subject matter? See, that's what I- That's what I was just getting ready to say is that the thing was is that, is that you always, and most reporters do, but you you especially did a do a great job of saying, this is what I need to talk to you about. This is what I'm going to ask you. These are the answers I need and I need them soon. And if you don't do these things, and it's not a threat- this is the story I'm going to run. No one's going to speak for you. And so I always felt, even when you and I came at it from different directions, that you were fair because you said, look, this is what's happening, which is all I, I can ask for. I don't like surprises. I mean, I, I think it's, it's unfair in any relationship to just surprise someone with, ha, gotcha. Gotcha's are good if you have basis of fact. Like if I gotcha because you were doing something wrong and you refused to give me information, that's fair game. But I think it's unfair to you as a professional, as a human being, as a person, just to show up at your door and say, ha, tell me about the man. Ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, I couldn't call you. I couldn't send you an email. I know where you live. I have your phone number. So why couldn't I tell you, hey, this is what I have. This is what I'm being told. What's your counterpoint? Yeah. And I think sometimes, right. as you know, because you have clients, they refuse to even tell us the X and the Y. And all we have is a narrative. Is that is the genesis of the refusal to speak? Because you know everybody wants to be on TV or Do be they? on radio, Do for, they? <laughs> well, in the newspaper for something good. Yeah, but do you believe there is a general foundation of mistrust in the media, and that governs how people talk to the media in general? I think that that yeah. So I think on a on a on a, on a macro level. We have we have a uh, a disconnect between what I do and what the public believes I do, and and because of that, I think there is, as you know, uh, there are certain terms that have become, have come into the vernacular, fake news, and all those other things that people choose to use uh, to develop different narratives uh, uh, to to truth. Right. So I think the definition of truth has changed in our culture, and I think we uh, we've not in some cases, honest look. That's not. We have not done a good service as as, a, as an industry, as a as a profession, to really remain that neutral body which the the public has always deemed us to be. Uh, some of our media has become partisan, and so as you know, you can turn on your television set today, and you know exactly where you're getting your news from. These these organizations are in silos. The general public doesn't make a difference with that. You know that's the media, and so that trickles down on the local level. Though we. We don't go, I mean, we, we try to be as neutral as possible. Are there biases? Of course there are. I'm a human being. I'm a human being. The, the name of the game is just to be as neutral as possible so that you at least feel and know that you're going to get a fair shake. 
So when you see that story, you could say, you know what? It was as good as we. I got my. I got my story out. The guy didn't uh, railroad me. He didn't gotcha me just to gotcha me. And so I think. But I yeah. To your point, getting back to your point, there is a distrust. The numbers show it. I mean, the numbers show that people do not trust what I do, and that's most unfortunate because I think we do play a, a key role in informing people on a number of topics. Um, and so that that is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. But is there a sense? Do you feel? in your biases and others, right? That, that a bias for the underdog is acceptable. So when someone calls you and says, this car dealership punked me out of all this money, like, do you go into that necessarily believing the underdog or feeling like you've got this unique platform, you have this unique power, if you actuate it on the behalf of someone who couldn't find any sort of resolution another way, you're like, that bias is okay. Well, I think... Your question um, is somewhat loaded because it implies that because you call in, I believe you. I, I just, bec- I, I mean, just because you call in doesn't mean I believe you. But I guess my my question is: is that do you do you have an an automatic and maybe you don't? If grandma calls you, I need like, documentation. Yeah. So grandma, if if, if you, you're telling me that you bought a vehicle and you're calling it a lemon. Okay, well, I need to see all the receipts. I need, to see, I, need to see, I need to see everything you have that will allow me then to look at that information and determine whether or not that's even true. So I think there is a misperception that just because you call the media, mm-hmm. you call me with a problem, that I necessarily believe you. I'm going to take a look at it. You may have, there may be some truth to that. But I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, let's just roll on it. Look, mm-hmm. grandma's car's broken. Uh, dealership A, ha, 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 gotcha. How do I know that? I don't know that. So is it hard to tell grandma? I can't help you. It's not hard at all because the conversation is, begins like this. Hey, send me the documentation you have. And usually when I say that, oh, well, you uh, weed out. Uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, uh, documentation. I, I did, where's the receipt? Uh, well, you know, uh, you see, uh, okay, so um, in the, did you take pictures? Right? Cell phones are a wonderful thing. This is when people claim damage, like at a car wash, right? right? I went to a car wash, and the car wash damaged my vehicle. Okay, well, surely since you're proud of your car, you probably have a before picture. So send me the before picture of the car wash, and then, and then after. Well, I, I didn't, uh, what do you mean? I mean, like, so some people, when you, when you ask for uh, documentation proof, uh, so that they can sit on their own two feet and say, you know, mm-hmm. I got something. They go away because now they go, oh, dang, this guy wants facts. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome. And so I always try to convince them the other party, the, the, the party that's being sort of a, uh, that has issues, that um, I'm not attacking them. In fact, I send them, I go, hey, this is the stuff that I have. Do you know anything about it? Right. right. So whatever I get, you're going to see. Right. Because I need to make sure that we're on the same playing field. Otherwise, it's not a fair game. You're playing baseball, I'm playing football. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. So it, whenever I get a complaint, if, I'm, if the complaint is about you, Robert, <gasps> breaking news, <laughs> you're going to get, hey, all the information so that you could say, A, you know what, that is us. Or that's even my dealership. Like, what are you talking about? So I think it, it's a fallacy to presume that just because you call in that you are on the right. And if the media is going to... March down and take your story. No, we're going to ask some questions, you know. And, and, and if you do your job, right? I mean, I'm going to do my job right? because that's part of my brand, right? At the end of the day, you don't have to like me. You could dislike me. You could hate me. But if you know me and if you know my work, I am always fair. Always. No one can say, I didn't know that. You knew that. You just chose not to respond. 
You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Rafael Sanchez, anchor, reporter, legend, leader. I doubt any of those things. Is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire? I don't get involved in those because that means I have to pick somebody, right? And so if I pick someone who's not alive, that way you don't have to cover them. (laughs) No, I I like all my Hoosiers. How about that? You don't want to say Kara Kenny? I I think Kara Kenny does amazing work, and I learned so much from her. So I'm glad you brought her up because, you know. um, Because I was going to ask you about colleagues and people at other stations who you enjoy um, admire. Thorough, um, competitive. She gets results. We have different tracks, right? She's more, she really goes after, you know, politicians and systems, and and she gets that work done uh, amazingly. So I have nothing but, I'm in awe of her work. And uh, she she's a she's a tough cookie. And if if again she does the same thing I do, um, and if she reaches out, just respond because I I, I I promise you, it will go so much better in her ability to tell your story than you running away. You know oh, I'm mean? familiar. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> what about somebody from another station or two that, you know, you've been here almost 25 years? So uh, thought, wow, someone, a- well, someone, you know, my intern was Jim Shella. My, uh, Your intern was Jim Shella? Yeah, my intern was Jim Shella. <laughs> I was his intern. I was his intern. <laughs> At Channel 8, so Jim He has Jim such Shella. a sweet nickname for you. Oh, and he calls me, what, Ray? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so Jim Shella was my, uh, was my first... For in you know during college at Franklin College we had this winter term and I went to, to work I uh, went to intern at Wish TV and Jim I spent uh, a legis- legislative session with Jim Shella's jokes and if you know Jim Shella there's always a joke always are they always inappropriate I don't know can I say that? it's that's a fair guess yeah well yeah. you have Hester too you had yeah. Jim Hester is well Jim was the adult <laughs> I was just getting ready to say Jim was the adult in the room so um, great I mean like the best of the best I mean Ruth Ann Gordon. You know, she was another person that... Uh, Wonderful. Oh, I mean, I, I, I often do uh, events with her, um, and I always say it in public that I'm just so grateful for her because she taught me the rule of always asking questions. And so, yeah, there's a number of people that I, that I admire outside of this building. Look, but I want to bring Clyde up Clyde some... Lee and Dion. Oh, well, they're, they're... They're, they're, my, they're my WRTV mentors. Um, they're just amazing wonderful. people. They're yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, another Barbara guy Boyd. I bring is it Barbara up. Boyd? I mean, I'd love to get Barbara Boyd on the podcast. I've tried to reach out I will, to her, and I, I will can't connect find her. with her because she is the one. When I get to be at that point in my life, she looks fantastic, acts fantastic. She's amazing, a trailblazer. Barbara Boyd, my girl. No, I had someone trying to get because I wanted to get her and T. Garrett Benjamin, okay, who used to do a show on yeah. Channel Six, okay. I think it was called Living for the City, and I remember it because uh, the theme song was "I Wish." Really? From Stevie Wonder, yeah, okay. when I was a kid. But another guy I want to mention who I just thought was really set the standard in a lot of ways is Jack Reinhardt. Absolutely. He makes a mean apple pie. Oh, he does? Oh, did you not know that? Uh-uh. So here's this guy, right, who is – they call him Chief Jack. I mean, he ran every police agency in the metro area, <laughs> right? The guy would walk in, hey, you know what I got today? It's like John Wayne, and uh, amazing, thorough, on point, kicked ass 
all the time. Part of that brand of really, when you think back, you know, we don't have that anymore. Like we're losing all our veterans and we're going to have to find that veteran core that knows the city, that knows the people, that knows how to get to the heart of a story. That was Jack Reinhardt. You know, I, I, I've had this conversation recently and I'd have to like think from non-anchors, but it may be you and Kara, Kenny, Channel 6, are the only two TV reporters still in the market from when I was in the mayor's office because Rich Van Wyke retired, mm-hmm. Mary Mills retired, mm-hmm. Derek Thomas retired, Jack yeah. Reinhardt retired. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of them are just aren't around anymore. Yeah. It's tough for someone like me who does PR, but your point's well taken. You lose. I remember telling someone when I was in the mayor's office, the, it was Frank Straub, that idiot, uh, when he was public safety I see, director. I, I see that you have that the commentary of Robert Vayner, not the commentaries of Rafael Sanchez. That's correct. Okay, so make sure that that's that correct. Said. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Don't taint me, Vayner. I'm trying to keep I my promise. job. Thank that you. was said by me and not Rafael. Thank you. And not Russ McQuaid, wherever you are, Russ. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I said, you should really, you should get to know Reinhardt. You should really talk to him. And he's like, well, why would I do that? And I go, because his sources in your department today are the sons and daughters of his sources in the department in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And he goes, you're kidding me. I'm like, no. No. Like, I don't know that anyone, Shella would be way up there, of yeah. course, Yeah. Uh, who knew his or her beat like Reinhardt knew yeah. public safety. Yeah. He, it's incredible. And was trusted by everyone. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, him, Derek Thomas, all, all those, even Norman Cox, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just sure, a lot, of course. There was just a lot of institutional knowledge. And I think people just grew up with all of these people. And it's a relationship that you build with people. And when you have a relationship, you tend to talk to them, right? You, you don't talk to a stranger. You wouldn't tell a stranger your business. But when you think you, you allow this, these folks into your home, it's an intimate situation. People talk to you because they go, oh, you know what? You're like my cousin. Hey, cuz, what's happening? Well, that goes right to a question I, I had written down to ask you because I tell my... Where are these questions? I, you, ha- you have no questions in front of you. I have questions all you have, this All you have is a clipboard. Hey, hey, hey. It's the Robert Vane podcast. Just, I, it is. No, just, but I'm just curious because you're doing good. I appreciate you, it. But you keep referring to questions. I see nothing in front there's of you. lots of... There's, here, let me uh, rattle the paper for the thank, audience. Thank you. Show I tell my clients thing. all the time that the most important aspect of public relations uh, is credibility. So let me ask you, from the media standpoint, how important is credibility? It's our currency. It's our Bitcoin. It's our crypto currency. You may want to choose a different currency. Well, right now it's not doing so well. But obviously, <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a currency of the future. So you have to think ahead, right? So in, in this current day and age, it not may be the thing we do, but obviously, you know, we have to think about where it's going to go. And so, but it is the gold standard. It is the thing uh, that you have to protect with all your might because once you lose that, you, your compass is lost. You, you have nowhere to go. If I, if, I, if I don't do right by you, or if I don't do right in the aggregate, then what do I have? And the only thing that I have is your ability to trust me with information. And if you don't give me any information, then I die then I'm, I'm no use to this to this station. That's a that's the number one question. Well, let me know if it's number one, but it's it's up there. What's uh, that to me? Is, number one. Can you trust? Right. You know, hey, go ahead. You can talk. You know, let me connect you with Raphael. We're going to talk off the record yeah. and then we'll follow up later. And it's that fear of right. being of off the record being right. right. I've only been burnt once. What? Not by you. Not by anyone at six. But 
but that that adds to the credibility when you get past the interview and the guy goes, hey, or the gal, the client goes, okay, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, that's going to work out. And I'm like, okay, now he doesn't make his living off the record. He makes it on the record. So let's follow up soon. Right. But that's something that, that scares people. Sure. But once you get past that sort of and it fire, should scare them. It should scare them because you know, to me off the record, you know, I, it's... I just don't throw that out there like a freaking uh, ramen noodles. I mean, uh, if, you, if you're telling me something off the record, I have to trust you as well, right? I mean, you, it's a two-way street. Uh, I have to be able to call you and say, hey, Robert, is X happening? And if you were to say to me, dude, that is not a story, okay? But if I then see it on a competition, I go, what? You said it wasn't a story. So, I mean, it's a two-way street. I think there is a relationship between all of our sources, that they know how it works. I have to tell you that I think it is much harder to, if I know you, it is, I have much, it is much harder to write your story because every word in my mind go, if I miss a word, damn, I'm, I'm <laughs> If you don't return the call, if you're that guy or that lady who's like, screw the media, I'm not calling back, and I have nothing, and I've tried everything to get your side, I mean like everything possible, typing away, using language that may seem to some people sensational you know it's it's more it's more i'm apt to do that because i don't know there's no barrier for me so it's the more that i know you the harder it is even on a negative story to be like every word counts i have to be very careful what i say and i always felt like i always felt like maybe not the client per se but but me as a flack that that there was some currency value in doing the tough interview where the reporter is like, look, he faced the fire. So the next time he pitches something to me or next time he tells me something, then I'm going to not necessarily take that into account. But remember that he stood up in front of me, got five or six really tough questions and, you know, answered them as best as he or she could. And, and that's something that reporters value when people mess up or know that they're going to get tough questions and they do the interview. Is that a fair assessment or wrong? I think it's, the, it's not even about the damn reporter. I mean, I'm just a vehicle, right? When you talk to me, you're talking to your target audience, right? I, I'm the lens. I'm sort of the prism. Mm. And so you're not talking to me. Yeah. Do I want the story? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I got the story. But you're talking to somebody behind me or in front of me. And so I think it's important for these folks just to tell, tell, it what, tell the truth. Tell, I know truth can be defined different ways, but just tell the facts as they are. People, guess what? People can handle it. Have you ever turned the mic off and got in your car with the cameraman or whatever and felt sorry for somebody? Like they did a terrible job or man, you know, I'm sure that had to be yeah, tough for them. Yeah, in fact, at the day I had an interview where if the person, and I'll tell you this off the mic afterwards, um, that if the person, if I was having a bad day or if I was being a piece of shit, if I was being the piece of shit, I could have ended this person's day. Because the comments that they made were not germane even to the topic. They were so off color, so remote, so outrageous that I thought, I didn't come here for this. And so uh, could I have come back to this TV station, said, I got the story mm. of the day. You won't believe this, this well-known personality, what the hell they said. I could have done that. I could have. But that's not the point. That's not what I do unless... I was out to, unless that was what you were out to, you know, uh, hurt people. Yeah, maybe. But I think people just have to keep this in mind that we're not out there to get anybody. You mentioned the word partisan a few minutes ago. So let's go back to that for just a minute. Damn it. And, and here's the question. It's relatively benign. 
Uh, do you enjoy covering politics? Politics is people, right? Politics is what people think. I think what, what has happened, though, because you know this well, is that we've lost the ability to just have a discussion. We cannot have a discussion in this country currently without me hating you and you hating me. And it's much easier for me to hate you because if I hate you, I can discount you. And if I can discount you, I can make you less human. And if I can make you less human, then I can say things, talk about you, and do things to you that I would do to a stray cat. And so I think that is where we are today. Not everybody. Mm -hmm. You can't make these generalizations, but I, that's how I feel we are with politics. And so we have, to, we have to find a better way to communicate. I mean, that, that is just my sense of covering it all. We, we just don't, it's okay to disagree on policy. I mean, my gosh, pick a, pick a topic. Sure. The R's, the L's, the libertarians, there's all kinds of, you could take all, but it's gotten personal. Now I want to tear you down. Now, now I have to, you and your wife and your husband and your kids, I got to burn your house. I got I to gotta burn it all down. I don't understand why that is. I want to ask you a question about President Trump. Are you seeing it that way? Well, I don't hang around those people. I hang around those people. Those people are neighbors. Well, no, 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 I, I, I hang around people I, I, and see, I have I, lunches I, I, see, and I have that's, interact with nah, people. Nah, see, I don't believe that. That's oh, not, no, no, no. Well, I don't hold on. That. Okay, go ahead. I don't. The people who hate someone based on their vote or their views, yeah. I don't associate with them but they're they're around us all the time so that's to me that's, that's well the, they can be around me but they're not going to be in my car they're not going to be at my lunch table well i'm not, not saying you, i'm not saying that you're buddies on my podcast well i'm not saying that you're buddies but i mean these are these are our neighbors the one thing that i would say they're i wish neighbors? more people well they could be but i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't associate with anyone who said all democrats are bad and i wouldn't associate with anyone who said all republicans are bad I, but i understand that but here's a difficult all time. reporters are bad now that's different I can see that because you're misguided. Uh, <laughs> but that's a, that's the difficulty we're having, though, right? Our neighbors are that th that's who our neighbors are. Well, let, neighbor let me say something that may be somewhat ironic, but I find it to be completely true. Okay. The more you are involved in politics, okay. the more one is involved in politics. Okay. The less political, politically poisonous you think, because you interact all the time with people who don't agree with you. You have lunch with them, you're at the state house with them, you work, you're in meetings with them, and the more you are exposed to someone who disagrees with you 80% of the time, but loves his kids and is a good person and can laugh and joke and have a sense of humor, then the better it would be. And that's my definite experience. The more politically involved you are, the less ridiculously partisan you are. Can I call BS on that? You, you can, but it's, since it's my personal experience, I don't know how you could. I can't because I think that you're a different kind of person. I mean, you, you are the kind of person who um, is open to different topics. You're the kind of person that no one's going to convince you of the opposite side because you have a principle that you stand on. And so you're able to... Uh, voice that principle you you don't you know how to defend the principle you're, you're open to in my opinion from a third party you're open to allowing the the other person to speak and you may find that middle ground but you're still going to say why well, you believe you your your point of view is, is something that is worth following and so i think you're open to the discussion 
in our country currently, that is not the discussion we're having. You know fully well that people will stand on the corner and you could say that you stand for this or that. You're either a Biden or you're a Trumper. There's not this, if we all did like how you're saying that the conversation is going, then I think we could be back maybe to, I hate to say normal, but at least a, a point of view where we could all are discussing these issues in a way that, again, we don't have to love each other, but when we leave this room, we could be like, you know what? Want to go for a beer? And so the problem is people don't want to have a beer because they'd rather poison you before you get out the bar. And those are the people but you I say, don't hang around yeah, with. But Robert, see, but that's my problem. So, okay, stop. I know it's your podcast, but those are our neighbors. No, go ahead. Those are our neighbors. And so, yeah, I'm not saying that I'm going to go to a beach party with all these folks, but the, these are my neighbors. These are my customers. Mm-hmm. These are my neighbors. These are the people that I see. I go to church with. These are the people that I go to meetings with. So I can't say, I don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. Well, I'm not going to invite them to my house, but they're the people that I interact with. And if those people work the polls, did a phone bank, walked in a parade, and went out of their way, whether they're R or D or L, Mr. Spangle, to spend time and understand that things only get done when the parties or the people come together. That's a recurring theme of this podcast. Mark Miles, Jim Morris, Michael Browning, Maggie Lewis, the list is on and on. Things only have gotten done in Indianapolis when everyone came together and no one cared. And my frustration with the political system is just that. It's the people who don't ever get involved other than posting on Facebook or ranting or raving or being insulting. I mean, look, I was a communications director for the Indiana Republican Party. While I was the communications director for a year and a half, I wore Joe Kernan, I wore his POW bracelet. And my boss, Murray Clark, whose maternal grandfather was chairman of the Democratic National Committee under Harry Truman, never told me I couldn't. And I would go on Channel 6 or I'd go on Abdul's show or talk to a reporter, Matt Tully, rest your soul, and just play the role as the Republican sitting here with Joe Kernan's. He was, he, I could tell you, he was shot down May 7th, 1972. Good guy. Good and loser. An absolute legend yeah. and hero. Yeah, and so, you know, the idea that there's, you have to bifurcate your role, I think, is just wrong. The last, I was sitting here as you were giving your answer, the last 10 lunches, six of them have been with Democrats. I probably didn't vote for their person they're working for, their candidate. That's my point, though. And that's right. But that's what I appreciate about you, if I can do that, is that you can at least stand on principle, acknowledge the other side, and and find ways to work with other folks, or at least communicate. We're not having those discussions. We're just not. And you can tell that just by the way we we talk to each other in the public square. And there's also, I would say, a lot of pressure within the parties to be partisan, the other side, you know, Republicans say the Democrats fight harder and Democrats say the Republicans fight harder. So therefore, if you're not angry and fighting all the right, time, right. then you're not a true Democrat or right. Republican. Well, that's just like, I just laugh at that. And, and the media doesn't help, right? Every t- everything is a showdown. The primary showdown tonight at six. <laughs> Who will win? The R, the D, or the L? Tonight at five. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't think the media, you know, in this attack makes everything into a, some sort of a, a, uh, some sort of mudslinging fest. It just seems like sometimes we just can't say, here are the votes, <laughs> right? Well, and that's the reason the question I asked you, the question about covering politics, you know, a lot of the people and personalities have changed. It makes a difference. And is it something where you just are like, you know, I'd rather knock on the door of a deadbeat landlord than go do an interview where it's just going to be ours are terrible. And then the 
these are terrible. Give me something where I can actually, I feel like I'm producing something. It has utility. I'm working on behalf of someone. Yeah. yeah, I think talking points, I understand why they're done. You want people to stay on message. I think messages are good, right? I mean, I think if you could, in the sense of that you at least know what you stand for, my difficulty is that politicians often don't understand that, listen, read, read the documents, read what you're being sent by headquarters, but put it in English. Tell me why I should care, right? I mean, tell me why this matters to a Hoosier family. You can still say exactly what the RNC or the DNC sent out. I get it. I get it. But don't read it to me because then I know you're just giving me crap. And so it just becomes then just nonsense. It's like, why even go to your press conference? I'll just read what the RNC put out. Why are you there? Tell me something that I don't know. We talked a few minutes ago about Indianapolis or Indianapolis media market people who you know or admire and think do great work. What about nationally? You're... We're roughly the same age. I think you're quite a few years younger than me. I grew up like with Peter Jennings, uh, you know, those folks. Um, um, I don't. I love Sam Donaldson, the only reporter that with a freaking uh, helicopter and a president who was like 80 miles away. <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching Ronald Reagan because he had a way, right? Yeah. Talk about being the great communicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, either he could hear or couldn't hear Sam. But if he could hear Sam, it was always amazing because the helicopter rotors were going and, and the president would either respond or not respond. So for me, like a Sam Donaldson back in the day, uh, I just like the, um, you know, just direct in your face. Um, not in your face in, in a negative way, but just come on. Persistent. Yeah, tell me what's going on. I mean, I want to know what's happening. So good old Sam. There's a great book, and he actually came on, uh, the author came on the Leaders and Legends podcast. The author's Harold Holzer. I don't know if you've seen this book. It's called Presidents and the Press. I've not seen the Terrific, terrific Are you, are you book. recommending the book? Oh, highly. A+. Okay, plus. Good, good. And one of the questions I asked him when he was on the podcast which actually got a really positive reaction from him, which was nice, was, you know, do presidents need a foil? And what you're describing is Donaldson was Reagan's foil, for better or worse, yeah. whether he could hear him or not hear him. Yeah. I, I mentioned former President Trump a few minutes ago, and I want to go back to him. He obviously is a, is a controversial figure. We don't talk about him much on the podcast uh, because we want this to be, you know, more of a fun discussion. But as someone whose father was from was born in Camden, New Jersey. My dad was born in Camden, New Jersey in 1936. When I would read some of the things that that President Trump would say or how he would act, all I could think of was, that's so East Coast. Like, that's just so East Coast. You're from the Bronx in New York City. Yeah. So tell me how much when you looked at President Trump and the things he said or did, whether you agreed or disagreed, did you just go, geez, mercy, that is just New York City, East Coast mentality and personality? You know, um, I'm going to say this. I, um, what a great country we live in that people are allowed to rise above their station and do what they want to do. I'm just going to say that about, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but did you understand his personality, even if you didn't no, agree with it? No, or, I mean, did, no, or did you no, go, no, no, listen, God, the way listen, he talks, that no. sounds so, here's so East Coast. No. So here's, no, here's more BS, right? I understand that there's regionalisms. I, I understand that people who uh, have clam chowder in Boston and who have shrimp down in Louisiana uh, are going to speak different English, right? Because it, we're just, it's two Americas, per se. But at the end of the day, where's your humanity? That's what I'm going to say about this president. Uh, you, don't, you could do this, that, or the other, but I, uh, those can't be excuses for 
me, for, for anyone to be disrespectful. So my only concern with the president was, it, it wasn't about policy. I mean, again, he's the president of the United States. Every president will go somewhere, and we don't have to like it. He's the president, right? But it's how you talk to people, and that goes for any, in any job. So it has nothing to do with the president. It could be a reporter, the PR guy, the audio guy, Chris. It's how do we communicate with each other? I thought there was just a lack of respect for people. And so I would hate for that to be pointed out as, as an East Coast phenomenon, because there's a lot of people who are asses on the West, in the South, in the Midwest, in the North, Florida, everywhere. Pick a state, there's asses everywhere. So I don't want a regionalism to be attached to someone. So no, I did not understand it. And I'm probably going to get all kinds of emails now because I, I talked about the former president. <laughs> and I did, well, that's, well, that's, but that's why not. We, that's why we do these interviews. Yeah, but that, the point is I really don't. I mean, honestly, do I have a personal opinion about the president? Absolutely. And, that's, I'm, and, I'm, and so I, you kind of sucked me into it, right? So because it's you. Yeah, how does that feel? Being sucked into something? Yeah. Yeah, that, that feel? Not, not good. Um, <laughs> honestly, because, because honestly, in, in all honesty, even though I did answer the question, so I will stand by the comments I made just minutes ago uh, about poor behavior, poor behavior, in this newsroom in particular where I work, I always ask, what are we doing about the people? Whenever we're covering a topic, I am the one, if you ask any of my colleagues, what are we doing for those that did support Mr. Trump? Because I, you can't ignore that uh, vibrancy. You can't, uh, you can't ignore that voice. Whether you like it, don't like it, I don't care. But we have to hear from those voters. We have to find out why it is that they believe what they believe and give them time to voice those concerns. So um, I, I'm at least proud that in this news, in which you probably think the Latino from the East Coast is saying support Donald Trump. I'm saying that those voters are valid. I'm saying those voters are real. And we cannot dismiss people just because of a political uh where they lean politically. When you're talking about within the station, how important, you know, I just read an article about a sports team and they were talking about uh, the, the, the thrust of the article was how the veterans have to set the tone. So within a newsroom, within a news organization, how important is it for the Rafael Sanchez's and Kara Kinney's to set the tone for the reporters who are new to the station or relatively new to the market? The veterans um, have the institutional knowledge. We have a responsibility because though it may not be my story, it is part of my brand. I work at WRTV, so anything that anyone at WRTV does will reflect on me and vice versa. So as a veteran and having the institutional knowledge, I have to speak up and say, hey, 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 no, no, that is not the policy. Or no, did you know about this? Did you know about that? Uh, we, we've had Republican mayors. We've had Democratic mayors. Hey, what are we doing about this voter? This voter we know as the Trump voter, right? Or the, or the Biden voter. Are we going out into those communities? Are we, cover, are we giving them a voice? And so I think it is, it is important. I know that as, a, as a veteran in this building, veteran reporter, I'm always, I'm always in, that, in that fight because I think it is critical that we remind people of the broader audience. It just can't be Center Township. It just can't be the one million in Indianapolis proper, you know? It has to be what's happening in Anderson and Pendleton and Frankfurt and Franklin and Greenwood and Greencastle because those voters also matter. Those people also matter. We mentioned a few minutes ago that you were born in the Bronx, so we were-, were The BX. We have, we have somewhat New done York this Yankees. in reverse chronological order, the Bronx Zoo, otherwise known as the New York Yankees. 
I'm assuming you are you mean, a Yankees. Did you, did, you, did you say the Boston Red Sox? No, I'm referring to the book, The Bronx Zoo, oh, about okay. the New York Yankees. Joke. I you were making a joke. <laughs> did you, when did you decide to come, to leave the East Coast and come you never to- never leave the East Coast. The East Coast is, you bring the East Coast with you. <laughs> <laughs> bring me my Yoo-Hoo. That's right. Uh, it comes in a Mayflower truck. That's right. <laughs> is that, how did Indiana, Indiana Franklin College, where you're a proud- graduate how did that get on your radar i had a friend who came to franklin we went to a high school that was specialized in media so she came to the uh, pulliam school of journalism located on the franklin college campus and she, she came back and said hey this is like this little college in indiana you may want to come out and visit they're offering scholarships it was cheaper to come to school in indiana uh, mm. in 1988 than it was to stay at home and to go to a state university. And honestly, when I, when I looked at the NYU application, which is where everyone wants to go, mm-hmm. it was like 50 pages. I'm being dramatic. But I was like, I'm not filling out 50 pages. The Franklin College application was two pages, and it was free. I was like, <laughs> that's my kind of thing. And uh, But it has been my godsend, right? It has been my passport. I, would n- I, I can't imagine not coming to Franklin and doing what I did there. And those folks have been amazing to me. There's so. a lot of local people with whom you perhaps graduated. We're talking about Eastsider Danny Feeney. God Danny love Feeney. him. Love him, firefighter. Melissa Cotterell. She's awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Brad Retyke went yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Brad Jen from Pittman. Spencer. From Spencer. Yeah, Jim Pittman went there. Spencer? No, he wasn't from Spencer. Was he from Spencer? Didn't Dana Hayworth go there? D- yeah, she did. Yeah, at Hirons. Uh, Albert Inslee. Yeah. Speaking of veterans. Another vet Marine. Uh, yeah. 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 A true patriot. I think, his, I think his kids play lacrosse. I wouldn't be surprised. We're like a mini, I don't want to call it a mafia. I don't want to be derogatory to any group. But we, like, for a small school, you know, plopped south of Indianapolis, we we, we generate a whole lot of good people. And what you was know? your first TV job? Was it Intern or did you do that uh, and then uh, you went someplace my else? My first, and yeah, internship back. was at Wish. Then I went, at the time, TTV4 mm-hmm. uh, on Bluff Road. Yeah. They had they had a... Um, a TV station. I also uh, wish and Fox. The first year Fox was on, they were here on Meridian Street. Right. Their set was like a spaceship. <laughs> um, they only had news at ten. Um, it was before Russ McQuaid took over, uh, but Sam, uh, Bob Donaldson was there. Yeah. He was the original, right? Uh, so I interned there. But my first real job was in Yuma, Arizona. And so, were you looking to come back to Indianapolis? Maybe uh, my that... wife said I had to come back to Indianapolis, and thus here you are. Here I am. That's right. What's some of the just to talk about New York City for a minute before we get to the five questions with RTV six? There's five. There can be six. No, there's only five. Oh, well, what the, the tough hell? question? This is the tough question, oh. reporter. Here. That's right. All right. Talk when you were growing up in New York City. It was a time where there was a lot going on. The Yankees won the World Series in '77 and '78. Going all the time. And times. Son of Sam was <laughs> involved. <laughs> what? And and a lot of of significant sort of, of, of racial issues and police issues and stuff happened in Bernard Getz, right? Yeah, yeah. Bernie Getz yeah. that happened in New York. Yeah. Did that? Yeah. Did all Very these sort of historical sharp. events kind of fuel your like? Man, I wish I was covering that. Listen, in my home, all we did was um, all we did was speak Spanish. So unless it was like on the Univision station, I don't remember at all. But no, I, listen, uh, the Daily News, the New York Post, uh, the the best um, sensational papers in the country kept us apprised of things. But no, I, I don't think that any of that had really any bearing on my <laughs> who I am. I think what does have a bearing is just it is a big city and a whole lot of. Sh- 
happening. And I would commute to high school on the, on the, number, the number one train from the Bronx to 49th, 50th Street, which is by um, Rockefeller Center. So mm -hmm. just, and then I would go work at the Port Authority. Now before the, the Port Authority building, which is the bus terminal, um, to walk to the Port Authority, you had to go down this little strip of street where every hooker and every drug dealer was selling openly. Like this was mm -hmm. the time when, this is currently where all the Disney musicals are right now. But when you are- <laughs> Pre-Giuliani. When you're 15 years old, you're like, ha ha ha! I mean, if you could think of debauchery, you think the snake pit was bad at the Indy 500 back in the day? Sure. This thing here? It was like a boy's dream. You were saying things like, is this possible? And it was only on one strip of land. Like it was like a little, you know, like a strip, uh, mm -hmm. a, a street. And um, that, that, I just thought, what the hell is happening? And so just the whole New York experience to me, right? That, uh, the Statue of Liberty, World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. I mean, all that stuff, that, the people, the food, the bodegas. Mm -hmm. um, I went to, I walked to school. We'd have buses. What are school buses? What is that? What is that? You know, uh, here, snow delays. What's a snow delay? Get your ass up. Go to school. Um, just the whole experience, the whole, the noise. The, the number one train would run by my home every day. That was my, when I came to Franklin College and I heard this cricket, cricket. I was like, what the hell is that? Where's the noise? Luckily, there was a train that comes by campus at two in the morning. I would fall asleep to the train the first semester because I couldn't. I couldn't understand. The silence, while it's beautiful, it can kill you if you're not used to if you're not used to it. And so, I think just the whole ambiance, if I can call it that. Have you yeah. smelled human urine at the platform of a train station? Oh yeah, it's that's delightful. awesome. I, yeah, I tell my wife, I want to go back. But now when you go back to New York City, you don't smell human urine. Now you smell pot everywhere because they have all the mm -hmm. edible trucks mm -hmm. in every corner. It's like, what happened to my human urine? I just want the stuff to come back. <laughs> Let me ask you one more New York City question and we'll get to the five questions. I take it, can I just say something? I uh -huh. take it that the New York City Tourism Board will not be inviting me back to do their commercial <laughs> after this little thing. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> You were here and had only been here a few years on September 11th, 2001. Yeah. What did you, as a, as a New Yorker, born and raised, proud, what did you think as you watched that day unfold? Well, first of all, it, was, it began as a beautiful day. I remember driving to work. It was a beautiful September day in Indiana, you know, when it, the weather's trying to mm -hmm. get a little nutty. It was beautiful. And I just thought when I saw the first image, like everyone else, what fool. I mean, what knucklehead does not know that those two buildings are downtown? I mean, what? Because things happen. And my brother's an airline pilot, and he takes that approach all the time. And he said, you, on a clear day, he goes, you can't miss them regardless. But on a beautiful, clear yeah. day, he goes, you can see them from miles. Yeah, right. And no one really knew, as you may recall. We thought it was like, in our mind, right? Because until we know something, we think it's what we know. What Cessna <laughs> crashed into that building? Mm -hmm. I mean, what the hell? What's a Cessna doing anyway? And then you're thinking, you know, there's a lot of tourism things mm -hmm. down there. Well, maybe it was a helicopter. I don't know. Someone was just got medical emergency. Mm -hmm. um, one of my jobs was in Building 5 on the concourse of the World Trade. So for me, you know, be, first of all, you know, what a horror, Right more than 3,000 people at the time than the worst terrorist attack in our nation's uh, country. Um, I, could see, I could see the like when the buildings collapsed because I remember at the World Trade Center, I used to work for Fannie Farmer, a chocolate shop. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I, could, I could see like when 
where I would go downstairs down to the bottom, the bowels, to get our product. So I'm thinking, how is that possible? Like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I can see just the, the concourse level. I can see shit falling. Mm. I just could, I, and, and to me, I can still see that. My problem was at the Vista International in front of the World Trade, which also then collapses. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was personal. And yeah, I, so you saw the first one hit, you're like, okay, well, who's the city? And then when you saw the second one hit, what did you think? I didn't know what to think. You mean I, 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 because when you don't comprehend something, you just don't, you, you don't know what to say. You're like, you know, I, I could hear people saying, oh my gosh, another one, right? We all heard sort of the, but you, in our minds, like you, we, we had no concept as a, as a person at that time in my history, we had no idea what terrorism really was like. Now we know that the, the buildings had been attacked back in 93, the bomb and the yeah, the thing, but we, but we, we, right, we're America, the oceans keep us away from all that stuff. As a generation, we have never really been affected by terrorism. And so that concept on that day just, I think, changes everyone's life, right? So to me, I know I talked about some trivial stuff about working in the buildings, mm-hmm. and it's not about I, but mm-hmm. at the moment, all I could think of is, like, in my mind, where are the people going? Like, you know, I'm thinking, did they escape? Mm-hmm. The one train, all the trains run down there, the N, the R, the PATH train. Where are all those people going? Was anyone stuck getting candy products or going down to get some nonsense for one of the many shops on that level? I, I was trying to think of, I was trying to make it, I was trying to comprehend, right? I just couldn't understand what was happening. And so in my mind, I was like, where are all those people? And then you see people jumping off the build. I mean, it was just horrible. It was a, it was a horrible, dark day. My have mom- you been to the museum? I've not been to the museum. It's absolutely stunning. But I, what I have been, I've I done the walking tour. Mm. First of all, if you, I, I recommend you go. It is a solemn place. Um, and, and, and to think that when you go there, you see the two major pools. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give it um, justice in the sense that two gigantic buildings stood in this spot. So spatially, spatially you're thinking, were there two buildings here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were. Um, I think it's just one of those places you have to go just to remind yourself of, in the big picture, that um, we are vulnerable. And because of that, we, we do depend on each other. In this very trivial statement, if you see something, mm-hmm. say something. Because I need you, Robert. I mean, you need me. So that we can defend against something that, until this day, I still don't think I can comprehend just the enormity of that moment. I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, I know it happened, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I just don't know, like, wow, like this happened in our country. And it, yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's, I think until that moment in time, we couldn't really, at least this generation, right? Mm-hmm. This the, could not really comprehend what that was like. But I think it, it changed our world, right? Now we have TSA, and everywhere we go, we can't do this, we can't do that. We've given up some of our freedoms in an effort to ward off against the terrorists. We've reached the point, the Leaders and Legends podcast, oh, where we no. ask the same five questions of all of our Are guests. Are they in Spanish? Are these culturally en appropriate? Français, vous Are they culturally appropriate? I mean, uh, can I choose not to answer? No, you uh, have to do like you do me. <laughs> Except I'm not, you know, paid as well as you. They pay me in pesos. <laughs> <laughs> Question you, number one. They pay you in rubles these days? What's going on? <laughs> What was your first job? My first job was working at a Korean um, merchandise store 
and my job was to mop the floors and dust the shelves. I think I was 13 years old. What was your first concert? My first concert, listen, do the conga, baby. Gloria Stefan and the <laughs> I'm Latino. What do you think I was going to say? <laughs> Billy Joel, Gloria Stefan, and the Miami Sound Machine at Radio City Music Hall. That probably wouldn't be too bad. Oh, dude, come on. Gloria Stefan? What do you think I was going to say? Journey? Menudo? Men- no. Sube a tu moto. Question number three. If you could suggest any book for someone to read, any book, which book would you recommend? Oh, dude, I don't get to read as much. Um, that's a horrible thing to ask someone. I'm going to pass. I don't, I don't, I can't tell you a book. You don't want to just say the Bible and save yourself? No, I don't want to say the Bible because then 50% of the audience would be like, I knew it. He was a zealot. Um, come back to me on that one. I'm sure they have a book. Does that work really? I've never really been able to use that tactic. Come back to me on that. Come one. back to me. Well, yeah. Number time. four. Maybe Gloria Estefan wrote a biography. We don't know <laughs> it yet. Number four. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? Um, a historical event that I'd like to see in person. I would. I'm fascinated by the something. I'm fascinated by the space shuttles. I would have loved to have seen not only one take off, but then land. I would like, and I think if I can do a dual trip, I would like to be at mission control, and then I would like to be um, in Florida for the landing. I just, because I think that, you know, that's just a, a human achievement that we take for granted. And that bird was so special. Um, and so, I, 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 yeah, I'd like to see that just from a, from a wild perspective. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? Two hours off the record with someone that I want to know. Um, who would that be? It current? Has to be a current person? Mm-hmm. Alive today. Alive today. Wow. Uh, I've not thought about that. That's kind of a deep question, and I don't want to waste my time. And tick, 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 tock, tock, tock. Um... I can tell you the most popular answer is Barack Obama. No, that would not be my that would not be my choice. Uh, it would not be an American president. I, I'm always fascinated by the things I don't know, so I'm trying to think of something that I don't know where I would want to find out exactly what happened. Um, some of the things, something historical. I mean, that, that I'm really that I would be fascinated in because there's so many things that happen. So this is the question that I'm thinking. Damn it! Well, I don't have a good answer. See, I'm not prepared for this. Now I feel really. How's that feel? I feel like I'm naked, though I look good naked. Um, <laughs> I do Zumba for that reason. You just want to have dinner with yourself? No, no, that that'd be boring. Um, you know, oh, shoot. You know, so, uh, someone like Next time I'm on the Channel Six set for a live interview. This is exactly what's going <laughs> to well, happen. No, well, the difference would be is that th- this, these questions were not provided, and you would know the topics beforehand, right? You wouldn't be. Barely, you, I would know the topics, but not the questions. But you would know what they were going to. And this is, this is something that I want to make sure that I answer truthfully because I don't want to just pick someone. You'd be like, really, dude? Is that who you're going to pick? Um, you know, I would want to pick, um, he, he's alive. I think he's alive still. Uh, o- Oscar Arias, who was the president of, of Costa Rica. Uh, it is the only uh, country, or it's not the only one, but it is the Switzerland of Central America. And during the wars with Nicaragua and El Salvador, El, Sal- El Salvador, just to find out how that all worked. I'd like to know 
He received the Nobel Peace Prize, he didn't got, he? He got the Nobel Peace Prize. And so I'd like to know how he was able to maintain in what was at the time a hostile region, talk about the Cold War, uh, how he was able to maneuver immigration and food insecurity, but at the same time be able to maintain a stable nation in the heart of just chaos. So that would be my pick. Would you like to go back to the book? The book, uh, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot of, I don't, I've been reading a lot of Indy 500 books because I'm getting ready to broadcast on that. So I've been reading. Did you read uh, Paul Page's book? I've not read Paul Page's. It's but terrific. I, but I've been reading stuff from um, uh, Mr. Davidson, Donald Davidson, who's amazing. Um, so I'm just trying to read a, a lot of that. So I've not read anything current that I can say, oh yeah, read this, because I've been reading a lot of 500 stuff. Read. I'll recommend read. It's Race Day in Indianapolis by Paul Page. He came on the podcast to talk awesome. about it. It's a terrific book. It's a very great very good. ABC sports guy. That we love correct. Paul Page, right? So we, we we loved his voice, and we loved his contribution to the five hundred. Uh, he knew a lot. I mean, that dude talk about knowledge. Those are some good questions. I wish I would have had some time to really think about it because I didn't want to give you some cheap random thing. But no, I wouldn't pick any U.S. president. Um, I, I wouldn't. They get covered so much that. I think we know a lot about them. Do we know everything? No, but I mean, there's so much media on these people. It's like, eh, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. That they, the, so the things that worry me the most are the things that I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I find out about them, I'm like, damn. Like I felt cheated when uh, we saw the movie Hidden Figures mm-hmm. to find out that all those women and all those people were supporting the space program. I felt cheated that no one at school had told me about them. And so much of the coverage is about the astronauts because of of putting their lives on the line and and they really did the people you're talking about certainly got short shrift and deserved more but think about uh, let me throw you a bone think about all the work that you did in the mayor's office and how often the things the things that got accomplished by people that we'll never know about and that's why we're staff yeah but the point is though it is those human connections that as a regular person may inspire me to be like, I want to do that. Because so often when we don't know those stories, when we're left out of those processes, we take for granted that, oh, yeah, you know, he did it or she did it. But when you find out that just regular people came to work at 8 in the morning and they gave it their all and it was just regular folks in your neighborhood and they did some amazing stuff, you're like, dang, you did that? Well, if you could do that, then maybe I could do that. Because I think when you see the president, the mayor, the governor take, you know, a, appropriate claim to those things, yeah, it's the governor, it's the president, it's the mayor. Yeah, okay. But if you see Dolly and Daniel, mm-hmm. you're like, how you do that, right? That's, that's the connection, that's the good stuff. So I, I always want to know, um, when you ask the question about who, who I'd want to sit with, I doubt that anyone wants to sit with Oscar Arias. Why the hell, right? But, but I want to know, he's, yeah, he's a president, but what, what was happening? Like, dude, I mean, talk to one of the things we've done in the podcast is talk to people, whether it's David Frick, who's a, a perfect example, or Jack Swerbrick, or Ted Bohm, and, and Mark Miles, and the list goes on and on about like, what, you know, tell me about the day when the Colts called and said, we're coming. And David Frick, who's probably, no, that's not true, in my view, is the most important Hoosier in Indianapolis of the last 50 years who was never, who never held elective office. He only worked for Hudnut. 
but just an absolute to hear that story from inside like this let me tell you exactly what happened that's that's one of the reasons i started the podcast was to hear those stories whether it's from jim morris or whoever i and i've been listening to your podcast because i thought wow this is sort of a a potpourri of people like mark miles who met fidel castro yeah right i learned that in your podcast i was like what and so yeah, so a funny thing about Mark Miles, right? Yes, he is like the god of the Indianapolis 500, Penske Entertainment. But the dude is so humble. Like, like he wouldn't tell you that. Like, he wouldn't just walk around and say, hey, I'm Mark Miles, and I met once with Fidel Castro, you know? He's a ridiculously talented leader. Oh. Like, ridiculously yeah. off the chart. And so that's the thing. A lot, of, a lot of our Hoosier folks, right, goes back to being nice and humble. They would never tell. Like Jim Morris. Oh, mm-hmm. The dude felt, how many millions of people mm-hmm. did that dude feed? Oh, my, I mean, like... And he, now you meet him, he has a duck luncheon, and he talks to people, he tells jokes. But this guy is like a freaking treasure. Yes, That's right. not political. I mean, I know that he's Republican, but sure. you know what I mean? like, there are times when we can call people what they are. Amazing. Forget the other junk, the, 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 the affiliations. These people that you, that you often talk to, you sit back and you go, dang, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Alex Melangdon. The queen mm. of the Super Bowl. We all were ziplining to mm-hmm. death. Thank you, Allison. Mm-hmm. Her and Susan, right? Susan Bro- is Brogman. Mm-hmm. Susan Bro- Boffman. Boffman, right? Mel Raines. Right. I mean, Tony oh, Mason. Great the, people. The loss goes on and on. That contribute in ways that are really immeasurable, right? Immeasurable. And that's why I called the podcast Leaders and Legends, because that's what and you others. and that's others. what other people I are. Would, this is Leaders and Legends and others. I'll take the others. <laughs> <laughs> we, you have oh wait, I like that. Wait, wait, wait. I like leftovers. That. Is that what you yeah. said? Leaders, <laughs> legends, and leftovers. I will take that uh, portion of the program. <laughs> you have been listening to Leaders and Legends, and but leftovers. no leftovers. <laughs> a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC. The Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. P.E., we love you and we miss you. Our guest today has been Rafael Sanchez, who, in my view, has the best brand in the Indianapolis media market. He's helped so many. He's been both very kind to me and, when necessary, very upfront with me. Raphael, thank you so much for your time. Sir, thank you. I'm, I'm a fan, and I, I also respect you, and I thank you for the opportunity. But can I just say my name the right way? Please. Rafael Sanchez, WRTV. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.